do we have what it takes? This past Sunday at Mass, we heard the account of the two disciples on their way to Emmaus. The encounter between Jesus and these disciples, who very well might have been his aunt and uncle, is one of the most powerful resurrection stories. However, I confess that I have to beg the Holy Spirit to help me not to blow through this gospel, since it's so familiar, and to open my mind and heart to those new things he wants to reveal. To better linger with this passage, I've been rereading and praying with an address that Pope Francis gave to the bishops in Brazil in 2013. I remember when I first read it being at the same time both encouraged and convicted. It still has that effect on me. Here we find perhaps the best articulation of accompaniment, a word that can easily remain vacuous. I pray it will be a blessing for you too this week. The Holy Father writes, Ours is not an age of change, but a change of age. So today we urgently need to keep putting the question, what is it that God is asking of us? We must not yield to disillusionment, discouragement, and complaint. We have labored greatly, and at times we see what appear to be failures. We feel like those who must tally up a losing season as we consider those who have left us or no longer consider us credible or relevant. Let us read once again, in this light, the story of Emmaus. The two disciples have left Jerusalem. They are leaving behind the nakedness of God. They are scandalized by the failure of the Messiah in whom they had hoped and who now appear utterly vanquished. Humiliated, even after the third day. Here we have to face the difficult mystery of those people who leave the church who, under the illusion of alternative ideas, now think that the church, their Jerusalem, can no longer offer them anything meaningful and important. So they set off on the road alone with their disappointment. Perhaps the church appeared too weak, perhaps too distant from their needs, perhaps too poor to respond to their concerns, perhaps too cold perhaps too caught up with itself, perhaps a prisoner of its own rigid formulas. Perhaps the world seems to have made the church a relic of the past, unfit for new questions. Perhaps the church could speak to people in their infancy, but not to those come of age. It is a fact that nowadays there are many people, like the two disciples of Emmaus, not only those looking for answers in the new religious groups that are sprouting up, but also those who already seem godless, both in theory and in practice. Faced with this situation, what are we to do? We need a church unafraid of going forth into their night, We need a church capable of meeting them on their way. 
We need a church capable of entering into their conversation. We need a church able to dialogue with those disciples who, having left Jerusalem behind, are wandering aimlessly, alone, with their own disappointment, disillusioned by a Christianity now considered barren, fruitless soil, incapable of generating meaning. A relentless process of globalization, an often uncontrolled process of intense urbanization has promised great things. Many people have been captivated by their potential, which of course contains positive elements. On the other hand, however, many are living the negative effects of these realities without realizing how they affect a proper vision of man and of the world. This generates enormous confusion and an emptiness which people are unable to explain regarding the purpose of life, personal disintegration, the loss of the experience of belonging to a home in the absence of personal space and strong personal ties. And since there is no one to accompany them or to show them with his or her own life the true way, many have sought shortcuts because the standards set by Mother Church seem to be asking too much. There are also those who recognize the ideal of man and of life as proposed by the church, but they do not have the audacity to embrace it. They think that this ideal is too lofty for them, that it is beyond their abilities, and that the goal the church sets is unattainable. Nonetheless, they cannot live without having at least something, even a poor imitation of what seems too grand and distant. With disappointed hearts, they then go off in search of something which will lead them even further astray, or which brings them to a partial belonging that ultimately does not fulfill their lives. The great sense of abandonment and solitude, of not even belonging to oneself, which often results from this situation, is too painful to hide. Some kind of release is necessary. There's always the option of complaining. But even complaining acts like a boomerang. It comes back and ends up increasing one's unhappiness. Few people are still capable of hearing the voice of pain. The best we can do is to anesthetize it. From this point of view, we need a church capable of walking at people's sides, of doing more than simply listening to them, a church which accompanies them on their journey, a church able to make sense of the night contained in the flight of so many of our brothers and sisters from Jerusalem, a church which realizes that the reasons why people leave also contain reasons why they can eventually return. But we need to know how to interpret with courage the larger picture. Jesus warmed the hearts of the disciples of Emmaus. I would like all of us to ask ourselves today, are we still a church capable of warming hearts? A church capable of leading people back to Jerusalem, of bringing them home. Jerusalem is where our roots are, Scripture catechesis, sacraments, community, friendship with the Lord, Mary, and the apostles. 
are we still able to speak of these roots in a way that will revive a sense of wonder at their beauty? Many people have left because they were promised something more lofty, more powerful, and faster. But what is more lofty than the love revealed in Jerusalem? Nothing is more lofty than the abasement of the cross, since there we truly approach the height of love. Are we still capable of demonstrating this truth to those who think that the apex of life is to be found elsewhere? Do we know anything more powerful than the strength hidden within the weakness of love, goodness, truth, and beauty? People today are attracted by things that are faster and faster, rapid internet connections, speedy cars and planes, instant relationships, but at the same time, we see a desperate need for calmness. I would even say slowness. Is the church still able to move slowly, to take the time to listen, to have the patience to mend and reassemble? Or is the church herself caught up in the frantic pursuit of efficiency? Dear brothers, let us recover the calm to be able to walk at the same pace as our pilgrims, keeping alongside them, remaining close to them, enabling them to speak of the disappointments present in their hearts and to let us address them. They want to forget Jerusalem, where they have their sources, but eventually they will experience thirst. We need a church capable of accompanying them on the road back to Jerusalem, a church capable of helping them to rediscover the glorious and joyful things that are spoken of and to understand that she is my mother, our mother, and that we are not orphans. We need a church that kindles hearts and warms them. We need a church capable of restoring citizenship to her many children who are journeying, as it were, in an exodus.